Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. As we think today of people coming out of sin and darkness, how important is it for us to be open to being that instrument that God would use to bring them in and to to welcome them into this new life, and in some cases to actually be the one that would encourage them in the call of God upon their lives. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 31, in a message titled, Saul and Jesus on the Road to Damascus. Now, here's Pastor Brian. He said, the commandment that I thought would give life, I found it to bring death. So there's a certain point in his own experience where he begins to realize that all of his outward goodness, all of his religious devotion, all of that really doesn't mean anything because he begins to understand that he's a sinner. He says when the commandment came or when he understood the the fullness of the commandment that it was meant not to just deal with outward behavior. He said when the commandment came and I understood that it was also to govern the, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When the commandment came, sin awakened and I died. So, so that was an experience he had. So we see that even though it seems like just a, a completely sudden conversion, I mean, it was in one sense, but there was a process that had been taking place. And now this is the culmination of that process. But it's a process, and this, I, I want to emphasize this, it's a process that nobody else knew about. You see, this is important for us, and I'll, I'll apply it in a minute, but it's important for us to recognize that even when we can't see that God is at work in people, he might very well be. And we need to learn not to, you know, be so concerned over the fact that we don't see outward things happening necessarily and, and be more confident that, you know, God, God can be at work. I've talked to so many people over the years who told me that even though outwardly there didn't appear to be any conviction of sin or any sense that they needed to get themselves right with God, the truth of the matter was that was all going on in their hearts and minds, even though they were doing a really good job of of keeping that hidden. So that is what we see here. We see this, this process that was taking place. And so Saul, as he's arrested really by Jesus, he's sent into Damascus and this man Ananias, and we don't know anything about him except what we read here, but he was obviously a solid believer in Jesus the Messiah and the Lord appears to him and tells him to go, arise, verse 11, 
Go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. So everybody knew why this man was coming to town. And I love the way Jesus responds. But the Lord said to him, go. <laughs> For he is a chosen vessel of mine. Now this must have absolutely blown Ananias' mind. What? He's a chosen vessel of yours. He's a chosen vessel of mine, Jesus said. And he will bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, as we go on and we read through the story, did you notice when we get to the end, it is almost like Saul has taken the place of Stephen. And the very same things that Stephen was encountering, remember it was the Hellenistic Jews that brought Stephen before the Sanhedrin to condemn him. And, and now at the end of this story, we find it's the Hellenistic Jews that are trying to kill this man now because of his faith. So it's, it's, it's almost like the Lord has just moved Saul, the great persecutor, into that place that, that Stephen had held. But going back to Ananias, Ananias, he welcomes, he's, he's the Lord's servant to welcome Saul into the family of God, really. And when he comes to him, and it says that he lays his hand on him, and he said these words, Brother Saul. Now again, let's try to put ourselves in, in the position of, of Saul for a moment. And, and it becomes obvious, we referred to those places where he talks about this period of his life. It becomes obvious that this is something that, that Saul never got over. He, of course, knew he was forgiven. He knew that God had showed him mercy. But you can, I think, be pretty sure that this episode in his life as the persecutor and the destroyer of the church, this stuck with him all the rest of his life. As a matter of fact, in writing to the Corinthians at one point, when he talks about being an apostle, he said, I am not worthy to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So, so this remained with him. So with that in mind, think of what it must have been like for for him to, to feel, he's blind, remember, to feel this man's touch and to hear these words, Brother Saul. So Ananias is God's man to bring Saul in and to let him know that he is now part of the family of God. And, and with Ananias, and then if we just follow the story out, we come to Barnabas and and Barnabas does a similar thing, but in a slightly different way, because Ananias sort of welcomes him into the body, to the family of God. But Barnabas then takes him and introduces him to the apostles and, and vouches for him and the, the validity of his ministry. So with both of these 
men, Ananias and Barnabas, you see men who are an important part in the discipleship of, of this man, Saul. And there's a lesson here for us too. You know, when people come to faith, they need to be welcomed in. And we need to be open to being those people that God might use. You know, because especially when somebody comes from, just think of the world that, that Saul came from. Now, had there not been an Ananias and, and had Saul just tried to go and join the church, I mean, he had a hard enough time already joining the church as we read here. But just think if there was no one like Ananias to come along and to sort of take him by the hand and to bring him along. It would have been maybe a different story. And so as we think today of people coming out of sin and darkness and, and all of those things, how important is it for us to be open to being that instrument that God would use to bring them in and to, to welcome them into this new life? And, and in some cases to actually be the one that would encourage them in the call of God upon their lives uh, to, to move forward in the ministry. Now, what are the lessons from the story here? Well, the first lesson would be simply that those who seem the farthest from salvation could be closer than you think. So let's not despair. Let's not give up. Let's not think that, you know, there, there's no way that that person is ever going to come around. I, I am sure that many of you would say there's somebody in your life that you've been praying for for a long time. And it doesn't seem like they're any closer to believing than they were, you know, 10 or 20 years ago when you started praying for them. Is there anybody like that? You feel that way this morning? That, that's a reality that we all live with, right? And, and we have a tendency to, to think that it's hopeless. Nothing's ever going to happen. Nothing's ever going to change. But one of the things that this account shows us is that people could be closer than we think. But, but like I said about Saul, nobody knew, and, and this is often the case too, when there is inner conviction taking place, sometimes there's a greater fight against it that shows itself outwardly. You know, you, you've heard the the saying, um, you know, the dog that barks the loudest is the one that got hit. And it, this, is, this has been seen so many times over, you know, the loudest, the most vocal, the most uh, hostile, uh, you know, the, 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 the person who's just going out of their way to blaspheme and things like that. You know, sometimes that's the person that's actually the closest. And, and these things are hitting close to home. That's why they're that's why they're reacting the way they're reacting. There was a, a man back during the 
the 1700s, George Whitfield and John Wesley were two well-known preachers in England and in the, what were the British colonies at the time. And uh, they were used extraordinarily to, to literally lead thousands of, and thousands, tens of thousands, in some cases, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people uh, to faith in Christ. They preached in the open fields and, you know, 10, 20,000 people would come. You know, it was just a time of a, of a great outpouring of God's spirit. And they had their enemies. And um, with Whitfield, there was a band of men that, that followed him wherever he went for the sole purpose of disrupting his preaching. And the ringleader of this was a man named Thorpe. And, and this man, Thorpe, he had perfected um, mimicking George Whitfield. He perfected his mannerisms, his tone of voice, the phrases he would use. And so he would get a crowd around and mockingly preach like he was George Whitfield. And, you know, he was a celebrity as a result of that. You know, he was the mocker and, and many people loved it. Well, on one occasion, as he was doing that, as he was mocking Whitfield, and as, as he was preaching, he came under the conviction of the Spirit. Everything that he was saying in his mockery of Whitfield suddenly began to, to pierce his heart and to convict him. He fell down on his knees and repented in the midst of one of these moments and became after that Whitfield's greatest advocate and dedicated the rest of his life to supporting and helping Whitfield in his evangelistic ministry. That's the kind of stuff that can happen. So let's not forget that. Those that are seemingly the farthest from salvation could be closer than we think. The second thing, which is sort of tied to it, but let's just remember, no one is beyond the grace of God. No one is beyond the grace of God. And, and I think all of us, I know I do at times, I have a tendency to just, you know, you look at a certain person and you just think, man, you know, there, there's no way this person could ever come to Christ. We don't hold out any hope for that whatsoever, but we need to know, we need to remember, no one is beyond the grace of God. Listen to what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he said this, he said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, I am living proof that anybody can be saved. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus has, has put me forth as an example to, to show that there's, there's no one that has gone too far, that can't be saved, forgiven, redeemed, if they will but turn. So let's not forget that. 
And even as we see in our culture today, these voices that are becoming more antagonistic and louder and louder in the culture in, in their hostility to Christ, let's recognize that even those people are not beyond the grace of God. The third thing that I want us to see here is there is a collision in conversion. Every conversion story will include a collision story. And what I mean by that is this, a moment where your life or belief or worldview collides with God's reality. See, that's what conversion is. Conversion is a collision with God and his reality. And, and this is especially true for those with a very defined worldview. Now, you know, Saul was a man with a very defined worldview. He completely was convinced that his understanding, his view of life, of, of right and wrong, his view of God, he was, he was completely convinced that it was all perfectly accurate. Absolutely, airtight. But what does he find out in an instant? That he was dead wrong. He couldn't have been more wrong, his ideas of God. He's persecuting the God that he thinks he's serving. And so there's this collision which, which basically breaks all of his presuppositions. It breaks all of his former ideas. It takes that worldview that he had and it just completely shatters it. And you know, this is what happens when we come to Christ. And like I said, especially for somebody like a Saul or somebody like, a, you know, let's just say a real avowed atheist or a real avowed, you know, deep, maybe a deeply religious person of another religious conviction. Um, what happens is there's this collision and they come to the realization that what they thought is absolutely incorrect. But that's what happens. God breaks that stuff down and he brings us into contact with, with what is actually true. He brings us into contact uh, with his reality. And sometimes it's the people who have those, those most uh, defined views that are the most vocal about them and the ones that seemingly are immovable. But again, remember, that's, that's what Saul was. But everything changed. He had the collision and he knew in an instant that he was wrong. He said, who are you, Lord? Finally, how did Saul go from a vicious, hate-filled persecutor to a gracious, love-filled servant? Because that's what happened to him. How did that happen? Well, it happened simply because Jesus, whom he was persecuting, became his Lord. And that's how this radical transformation takes place. When Jesus becomes the Lord, and, and his own words, Paul's, Saul's words, he says, what would you have me to do, Lord? And when we have that collision and our whole 
understanding of reality is dashed to bits. And, and we suddenly realize that, no, I'm wrong. And, and God is right. And, and Jesus is right. And, and the Bible is right. And at that moment that we say, Lord, what would you have me to do? We put ourselves on a course to go from whatever it might have been. And in his case, it was from vicious, hate-filled persecutor. But from whatever we were, we put ourselves on a course to go now into a life that honors and glorifies God. And so the last thing that I want to say as we close is this, that this is an extraordinary event for sure. And it's certainly not the experience of everybody who becomes a Christian. But let's not forget that it's not something that just happened back then and we should never expect for it to happen in our generation. It is something that we need to understand. It can and it will occur and it has occurred at strategic times throughout history. There are those times and those places where God just lays his hand on somebody in an extraordinary fashion and, and does what seems to be the impossible and then takes that person and does extraordinary things with them. And so all of that to say as we close, let's, let's not lose hope that the things that we read about in the stories here in the book of Acts let's not lose hope that those things cannot be a reality for us today because they very well can. And people around you, people that you're familiar with and people that maybe you think are the least likely candidates for salvation could be the very ones that are so close. Just keep planting those seeds, just keep watering and just keep, you know, being, being present in their life. You know, there, there are sometimes there are certain people, I have to confess, there are certain people sometimes that I just am so like fed up with, <laughs> you know, I just, I seriously, I just want to write them off. And just about the time I am ready to do that, you know, the Lord says, Brian, I put you in their life. So just be in their life and don't worry about all of this other stuff. Just that that's not your problem. That's my problem. I'll deal with it. But, but you just, you just stay in their life because remember that process that was going on with Saul of Tarsus that nobody knew about. Maybe he had a face to face, eye to eye encounter with Jesus. Maybe not, but maybe he did, but he certainly was radically impacted by Stephen, even though you never would have known it at the time because he's helping people kill him. But then even below that, there's something happening in him that the Holy Spirit is doing and it's showing him that his righteousness is worthless. And that's the very thing that he had put all of his confidence in. But the Spirit was doing that. And, and that's what the Spirit does. And he often does it through 
our presence, our prayers, our connection with people around us. For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. The youth of today's culture, both Christian and non-Christian alike, wrestle with the issues of racism, universal truth, identity, science and faith, sexuality and suffering, just to name a few. These are essential topics that any parent, grandparent, guardian or friend should help the next generation answer. The book, 10 Questions That Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.